The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gabby from What's Gabby Cooking, and seeing as how we've all got a little extra time on our hands at home, um, hello social distancing, let's get down to business in the kitchen. Come hang every Monday while we talk about all things food, and I answer your burning questions about cooking, ingredients, swaps, tips and tricks, etc. I'm also going to be highlighting super rad small businesses, and we're going to be learning about other incredible makers in the food world, and who even knows what else. Anything's fair game in 2020, right? What's Gabby Cooking in the Wild? Here we come. Let some things be retrograde. Welcome to the show. I'm Stephanie Simbari. Welcome to the show. I'm Elizabeth Cott. Do we love the new theme song? Tell you why I love it. I love it because it's sexy. I love it because Chelsea's voice is beautiful. I love it because it's made by our friends. I love, I just, listen, I'm a big fan of it. So hope everyone else is too. Okay. Well, we've got a fun show. We've got a two-parter this week. We haven't done this in a minute. The last time we did this was for Elisa Vitti because our minds were purely blown and feel like goes the same for this fantastic duo that we have joining us this week. We have Wilma May Basta and Danielle Jackson, co-founders of DRK Beauty. We will get into more about that in a moment, but it was just such an incredible conversation. I felt like we met like a version of us. And so we talked for a really long time and we just thought the conversation was worthy of two episodes. So why not? You know? Yeah. Why not? So we're going to talk about their backgrounds and the content around DRK Beauty. And then in the next episode, we have a whole other very cool convo as it continues. Um, let's just get right into it, shall we? Should I hit this? Right. Should I hit this weed pen again, guys? Probably. Or or should we should we save it for later? Nope, we're doing it now. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Wilma May Basta and Danielle Jackson are joining us. They are both the founders of DRK Beauty, a digital content and community platform that provides a space to celebrate women of color in all their diversity and aims to empower and support women of color by producing curated content that resonates with the often neglected communities as well as provide mental health resources through their initiative, DRK Beauty Healing. Ladies, we are thrilled to have you. Welcome to the show. Woo! Thank you. Exciting. We're so <laughs> to excited. meet you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. We love uh, a duo. Because we are one ourselves. Tell us about your guys' relationship, how you came together on this project. If we, how we met, if you want to ask that question as opposed to how this all started. Um, I was working out of uh, a co-working space called The Assemblage in New York City. Oh, I've and, been there. It's nice there. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I was sharing space with, I do some mentoring for Team Digital Agency and I work out of their space. And then they also shared space with this amazing woman who used to work at Condé Nast. Her name is Brie Lepofsky. I think I can give, give her name. Anyway, she and I got on really, really well, like a house on fire. And when I said I was looking for someone that could help with either marketing and, and, and production, 
she says, oh, I know the perfect person. I'll send you an email. I said, great. Email never came through. And I just let it go because I was like, okay, I got to move on and I got to find somebody, right? So I didn't bother chasing her up for it. And then I think she, I said to someone in the office, oh, I'm, I'm still looking for someone. She said, Wilma, didn't you get my email? And I said, no. And it turns out she had missed out one letter of my name and the email didn't go anywhere. And she was recommending Danielle. And so had I not said anything, we wouldn't be here today because she says, oh my gosh, you've got to meet her. You've got to meet Danielle and um, I'll send it to you again. So I reached out to Danielle and the first time she came to the assemblage and I think what was meant to be, I don't know, like a 30 minute meeting turned into how long? Four hours. (laughs) It's four hours. That was crazy. I know. Um, so from my side, um, Brie hit me up and was just like, hey girl. so Brie and I used to work together at Condé Nast, um, specifically Women's Wear Daily. And she was, um, one of my supervisors. And so we've always kept in touch and she was just like, Hey girl, it had been some time. She's like, I haven't talked to you in a bit. Like, what are you doing? I'm just like, yeah, I'm producing blah, blah, blah. She's like, I have the best thing for you. And I'm like, okay. Like she just left it at that. And then some time lapsed and she circled back and she was like, I met with this founder. Her name is Wilma. She's amazing. She's creating this, at that point in person, community um, for women of color and those that identify as such. And you'd be perfect for it. And I'm like, why do you think I'd be perfect for it? She's like, you already do community work. Like, I know this is, this is perfect. This is perfect for you. So, and so I'm like, okay, yeah, like, hook it up. Let's see what's going on. So like Wilma said, we met at the assemblage and it was supposed to be a 30 minute. It was like four hours. I'm like, I'm going to get fired in the back of my head. But it was like so synced up so easily in terms of what we wanted to do in our lives, what we've been doing in the past. And just these small moments just kind of led us to be together. And from there, we had another conversation. And it was like, all right, well, you go away and think about if you want to come on as like a co-founder. And I kind of was like, all right, I'll think about it. And I came back and we were both like, yeah, this is more than just like, oh, joining as like a marketing person. You know, like I have a lot to bring to the table. One was like, yeah, you got a lot to bring to the table. And that's, that's our love story. And from that day, a, a little, a year ago, um, we have been settled to the you. metal. She's my work wife. Yeah, we are work wives. We are work wives. <laughs> I'm I'm Elizabeth's husband because um I just feel more comfortable in that role. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break. I want to tell everybody stuff about what you and I just spent the past forty five minutes doing, which I think will be of interest to the group. Guys, here's the deal: I have surrendered to the fact that the internet is indeed for lovers. And (laughs) the reason is because there's a new dating app called Ship and it's fun because you can do it with your friends. Yes. So basically, Steph and I both downloaded the app. Steph has a profile up on the app as Stephanie and then I'm added as in her crew. Which you are. I am, according to this and real life. And I get to swipe for her. So, you know, there's been major technological advances in the online dating app since I've been 
in a relationship. So this really scratches an itch for me of just like the swipe of it all, which I appreciate. Sometimes we would be in the car back in the days when we would be in the car together and Elizabeth would just be like, can we play your dating apps? And now she can really play them with me, which is so fun. She just DM'd me a guy named... Uh, where is that guy? She's Brandon. Joey, Joey just overheard and he's upset. What the fuck? He's like, you're on a dating app? She's on Wait, what do you mean? Dating Joey, app? for me. It's it for her. For me. Well, let me log in too. He wants okay, to be part of it too. Do you want to be my crew? Do you want to be my crew? Oh my gosh. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Jerry Falwell shit's going down right now. Wait, that's so perfect because the whole thing is that we do just really want to find a boyfriend for me for Joey. There needs to be compatibility there as well. Like you need to love them. He needs to check all the boxes for you. And also him and Joey have to have chemistry. Wait, okay. Tell Joey that I'm sending him an invite to download ship right now. And he better join it and join my crew. Yes, Joey, you have to join. He walked away, but <laughs> he's joining my crew. I'm so excited that you and Joey are in my ship crew. This is I'm my life. really thrilled. So you can date someone your friends already like. You download SHIP. That's S-H-I-P. It's in the app store. Just type that in. And it lets you swipe with your friends. That's SHIP. Search for SHIP in the dating app store. Start swiping today. So fun. I can't wait to follow this journey, Stephanie. I made my age range 23 to 45. <laughs> Perfect. Stay now tuned. back to the show. <laughs> Shall I, shall I roll it back to, you know, how this all started? Because I think it, it informs how, what the content is. So just going back to the beginning, I'm originally from Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia, in a pretty white area. Where? Right? So we were what? Uh, Villanova is where I grew up, Villanova, Pennsylvania. Oh, I went where to Muhlenberg. Where? In Muhlenberg. Allentown. Oh, in Allentown. Okay. <laughs> so, I um, Yeah. So I, so I was on the main line, right? This is where, you know, Grace Kelly comes from the DuPont family. It was all this sort of affluent kind of moneyed area. And we were one of very few black families out there. There, there were certain pockets, but growing up in an area where, you know, you're one of you're you're, you know, you're always the one standing out. Wasn't, you know, it wasn't easy all the time. So I ended up living in France as a teenager. I went uh, to uh, live in France for a year as a junior in high school, and that changed my life. Uh, we did an exchange program. I lived with a family. Their daughter came to live with my family, and her and I, are I still consider her my sister, uh, very, very close uh, today. But that changed my life because I realized, like, why I didn't fit in, and I didn't feel like I fit in in America. I didn't, you know, I didn't. I felt like I was in between two worlds that I, I wasn't black enough because I had a lot of black folks didn't like me because they thought I talked too white or, you know, I, you know, they used to call me egg yolk, which I didn't understand what that meant until a few years ago, which is surrounded by white. Also the most delicious part of the egg. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But then I, I wasn't I wasn't white enough either, right? So I didn't quite feel like I fit in. But when I lived in France in a small village, I didn't live in Paris, um, no one cared. Like, and this was in the 80s, right? So nobody cared that I was black. They thought you're American, you're different. This is exciting. Who are you? We want to get to know you. 
And we just got on with it. I made amazing friends. I had the one of the most transformational times of my life. And then I got back to do my senior year in high school and I realized, oh, now I know I don't like this. The whole, you know, uh, cheerleaders and cliques and mean girls and, you know, and all these things that people were concerned with, you know, getting drunk at the weekend at keg parties and all that stuff, dumb stuff. And I was like, oh no, this does not work. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to two different people. I'm like, where are you on the weekend? Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, drink I don't, <laughs> I mean, no one did that in, in France. People yeah. didn't go to go to yeah. a party to get drunk and get laid in some room and then throw up and then be chased by the cops. Because, you know, the cops came <laughs> and broke up the keg party. America. <laughs> I mean, what's, you described me as like, would, Every American movie rom com. Yes. Yeah. It was that. We're and gross. I was like, oh no. <laughs> I can't wait to get back to Europe. And, you know, because in Europe, we would do things like if we did go out to a nightclub, we actually danced and had fun. We actually got into the music. And if we did drink, it was. You Your know, intention we wasn't to, to get wasted. It wasn't to get drunk. It was like, this is a social thing. And it was so much a part of life. I went to I, I went to a piano teacher once a week, and she she was this grand dame. She was this ancient woman with jet black blue fort hair and a pink Chanel suit. And I'd sit there. She had this gravelly voice from cigarettes. And I'd turn up on a Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. And we'd sit there. She'd tap my fingers if I didn't have them straight. And then she would say, Wilma, would you like a glass of sherry and some some crackers? I, I like, love it. Oh. And you know, and I was like 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> it changed my life. So so fast forward after graduation, I moved up to New York to go to NYU. Took about two gap years between that. And then I got to New York and I worked to put myself through school. And I got the opportunity to study abroad again. And at that time I wanted to become a um entertainment lawyer. And uh so I went to study British English common law for three months and then I did work experience. And it was during that time that I met my first husband and fell in love, ended up staying in the UK. And I never came back for 27 years. And so I built my life over in Europe and it felt like in the late eighties, I left here in like maybe 89, 90, it felt like a relief. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have to be black Wilma. I didn't, I could just be Wilma. Right. And every single job I went for, like I didn't interview for anything. And there I didn't there weren't microaggressions in the workplace. That I worked hard and I was rewarded for that. And my career went from zero to hero within a few years. You know, I was a board director of a top 10 PR agency, and it wouldn't have happened in America. As hardworking as I am, I know that I would not have, have excelled the way that I did in Europe. And so I was like, why would I come back to America to have to deal with all of that? And so for many years, I got to forget about that. You know, I got to just be Wilma and build a life. And, and my children are mixed race. Nobody cared about that. It wasn't a big deal over there. And there are so many mixed race kids over there. And, and you know, nobody asks you to identify with one side. Like, well, what are you? Choose. And you come back to America and, you know, you're like, well, are you identifying as black or white? Like, what is the deal? No one cares. 
Okay, guys, we are taking a quick break. This feels like such an appropriate advertiser for our conversation. It's really today. synced up. It's so synced. So we're talking about talk space. We're ta- and you know we're constantly going deeper with the importance of having a trusted confidant and who to confide with and who to speak to from home through your device at any time. Talkspace is an online therapy that is here to give you support because we all need it right now. Match with a licensed therapist from the comfort of your device and reach out 24-7. Whenever something's on your mind, you'll hear back daily, five days a week. You can be as clingy as you want, apparently. No problem. We love that. Steph, can you speak to that? I'm like, hey, can you um, help me with this problem? Sorry, I have another feeling. I have another feeling. I have another feeling. (laughs) But what I love about Talkspace is what? 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 I just feel like to to do that to an impartial party, better than your friends. I'll definitely say that my friends (laughs) will appreciate it when I am using Talkspace and not using them all the time. Um, But they match you the licensed therapist. And what's cool is that, you know, you try it out. And if you you aren't vibing with the person, you can just rematch with another person. And like, that's something that I've definitely gone through with therapists where I like, you know, we have the meeting and I'm kind of like, I'm not really sure about you. And it's like more awkward to have to like go to the place and then be like, actually, I don't want to come back. Then just like online, it's like, oh no, it wasn't for me. It's not as big of like a trial and commitment situation because it feels less like intense. More gentle. Yeah. Their therapist network is experienced in treating depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, relationship issues, food, eating, much more. Secure Talkspace is private, using the latest encryption technology to store client information. That feels important to note. And as a listener of this podcast, you're going to get $100 off your first month on Talkspace. To match with their perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code retrograde to get your $100 off your first month to show support for the show. That's code retrograde at Talkspace.com. Guys, we know you've got a lot on your mind. It's a pandy. Talk it out. Talk it out. And let's uh, go back to this conversation in which we're talking it out. Then as the years went by, and I guess sometime in the last 10 years, there, there was this sort of this need to sort of reconnect with my heritage. And I think a lot of that was spurred on by my dog, by the way, is here. And he's, he, he comes when I'm on a zoom call, he, he comes up, he knows I'm on one because he knows that to get him to leave me alone and not bother me, I give him a treat. (laughs) He's over here trying to get, go lay down, please. And um, so I, um, I started just, you know, a lot of women were writing about their blackness, about their natural hair journeys. They were writing about just that sort of pride. And I thought, you know, I feel like I really want to start reconnecting. So gradually over the last 10 years, I started to do that. Um, I left PR and I became a vintage fashion dealer in the UK for the last half of my time there. And I did a lot of red carpet dressing and I collected high-end pieces and and that was amazing. And, and I still love that. But I, you know, it was a business that when you sell one of everything, you know, you're not going to really retire on that, right? It's not a business that scales. I certainly relate to that. I used to own an cons- online consignment company. So those uh, used t-shirts aren't really uh, paying the bills. <laughs> and so basically what happened was I, I was just, you know, I was having a conversation with my daughter who was home from university at the time we were just talking about businesses and we were, we were talking about um, economies, 
He was studying psychology and marketing at the time. My stepson had studied economy. He was there. And then, you know, we then, the conversation pivoted to as, as women of color and all, my daughter's mixed race, but, you know, she has my skin tone. You know, she doesn't have the same uh, curl pattern as I do, but we were just talking about what it's like as women of color to go and shop for our products. And so I said, why is it so crap in the UK in this day and age? And, and the best I've got, I've got to go to this store. It's called Pax. And it's um, oh, we know it. a chain of them. Do you know Pax? Yeah. Well, Elizabeth and I both studied abroad in London. At the same time, but oh, before then you we know knew Pax. each other. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you know Pax. Well, so Pax, when you go in there, they, it's all staffed by men. And they follow you around the store to make sure you don't steal anything. And they're checking your ass out while they make sure you mm. don't steal anything. Cool. Now that's the best I've got, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, which, which is, is it? Do you want to incriminate me? Yeah. yeah. Choose <laughs> one, please, so right. I can be clear. So but then you also want my money, so <laughs> yeah. you're not opposed to that. Yeah. A lot of mixed messages. And we were just like, you know, why is this the best that we've got? Like, I can't go anywhere else to buy my hair products or those things. I can't buy them in Boots, the chemist, you know, the drugstore. Yeah. And so uh, I can buy some of them, but certainly not the majority of the things that I need. And I said, that's ridiculous in this day and age. I said, maybe there's a good reason for that. So I basically, I said, I'm going to do some research. And that month, it was Christmas when we had the conversation in January, I did some cursory research and realized that Black women in America, there are 12 million and they spend $10 billion a year on their beauty products, not including human hair. And we actually oh. over-index white women by 4%. By 4%, we spend more money than white women on our beauty and we're still underserved. And I said, oh, wait a minute. There's Come back home. Something's got to be... Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, we, there's something here that needs to be solved. So I shut my vintage business down and I spent the next six months doing more research, basically, because I thought it's not as simple as opening up Black Sephora, right? That's too easy. And, and also that's not going to work because you can't just come in and compete against Sephora. But I spent time talking to, I spent the six months uh, talking to Black women, talking to women of color talking to investors, talking to brands and retailers and talking to influencers, finding out their experience of the space and looking at hardcore data. And then at the end of the six months, I had all of this data, but I had no business. And I thought, what do I do with all this data? We have a little place in the countryside in England. So I got back and uh, I hold myself up for three weeks. I turned off all my devices and I said, I'm going to distill all this data and I'm going to come out with a plan. And I actually ended up building a prototype uh, for Dark Beauty. It was a prototype app, and I built it from scratch myself. I do a little bit of coding sometimes. And so I just (laughs) Let's do some coding. (laughs) Something I do on the weekend. I do a little bit of microwaving food, so... um. (laughs) (laughs) I had to teach myself how to do basic coding when I was a vintage dealer. Uh, When I first started, I was on eBay many years ago, so I had to teach myself how to do that. And what I saw from distilling all of this data was that the real crux of the problem is that brands and retailers have a, have a very, if you have brands here, you've got influencers in the middle, and then you've got consumers of color over here at the other end. The relationship is completely and totally flawed. 
It's not broken, but it's flawed. And it's, that means that, you know, because broken implies that it was fixed in the first place, which it never has been. Um, it's flawed. And, you know, brands don't understand women of color. They have no mechanism to understand women of color. So they approach it like, like it's a monolith, like we're a monolith. Like we're, you know, if it's, if it's aiming at Black women, I think brands think we're all ghetto-dwelling, hip-hop-loving people. And they don't account for the fact that we're this incredibly diverse group of people. And not just from an ethnicity or even a culture point of view, but our interests are very different. I mean, I don't like hip hop. I like, like, I don't know, I like the police. I like Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. I like that rock. <laughs> you know, so where's my tribe? You know? And I'm like, I like Gwen Stefani, but I also like trap music. So it's like, <laughs> right. You know, I like knitting or there's like, you know, yeah. a lot of people have seen recently the black girls who love surfing. You know, I also ski. I'd love to connect with, you know, women of color who ski. And, you know, I hate being the only black person on a mountain. You see one other black person and you do the black nod. You go, yo, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was like, why don't we have, I want to, I want feel like, A, I need community, right? Of things that I'm, I'm passionate about that are in, you know, in the realm of women of color. But also brands don't have a way to start to, to redefine what marketing to people of color looks like right? Because they either treat us like a monolith, we're either their market or we're not. And then when we are, they think they, or their brands come out and they say, we're for all women, but you still don't, for a black woman who feels like most brands are geared towards white women and they say we're for all women, how do we come into that space? I don't feel welcome in that space when I see a skinny white woman, you know, with, you know, her little boho hat on laughing with her friends on in, in Instagram. And then they put two light skinned black girl on their Instagram feed. And then I'm supposed to feel like I'm welcome. We're black. We're not stupid. They don't have diverse in-house teams and, you know, they, and they don't know what black really means. And that's, and, and we, what we're doing is for women of color as a whole thing, not just black, it's, you know, South Asian, East Asian, it's Latina. So it's indigenous. When I came up with this dynamic, one, we need to celebrate and support our community. We need to give them a niche communities of color where you can find your tribe, right? But then we also can look at how can we invite brands in to help them to redefine how they market to us by creating longer term relationships rather than just marketing to us, right? What if you actually helped us as a community? What if you as a brand, instead of getting me to buy your suitcase or your cosmetics or your hair stuff, and instead of just selling to us, help us come and live in our community, bed yourself in, and figure out ways how you can help the individuals in the community. And Black women are the most brand loyal women in America, right? There's a lot of data to support that. If, you, if we see that you have our backs, we'll have your backs. And brands don't realize this and they don't do anything. And there hasn't been any platform. So dark beauty evolved from this. And, and what we're building and we're just starting our journey is to building this, this community of, of women of color where not only can we find our tribe, but we can learn about other people in our, in our extended communities. I want to learn about Latinas. I want to learn about the South Asian experience. I would love to do that. And most magazines that are out there whether it's Refinery29 or whether it's Essence, it's all about, you know, most magazines or publications are about white women first, 
And then they do the secondary, like, oh, we have a little channel here for Black people, or we have a channel here for Latinas. Well, you, have, you know, I'm not trying to drag Refinery29, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it out. If you go to Refinery29, they have Unbothered, which I love, right? It's their channel for Black women. It's their, it was their fastest growing Instagram channel. Go to their homepage and try and find them. I'm not going to say I get it. From a brand standpoint and from web development, there are <laughs> pillars and columns and coding and what have you. But how could you put a community, a race, under a lifestyle that doesn't like who's in that room to say, oh yeah this is the best place for it because I feel like this is such a conversation of like this is something that I saw like when Black Lives Matter hit Instagram so hard it seemed like to speak to what you're speaking to and like exactly it was like instead of bothering to just like take a minute and be like hey what are the stories and perspectives that we're not including and how can we like correct this in an authentic and real way to where we're being more like truly inclusive. It seemed like a lot of brands were just like doing what you're saying, which is like, oh, we had three models that two were white before one was black, now two are black and one was white. And now that's just showing you that we get the experience and we get what it looks like. And it's like, it's just got to be so infuriating because it is like, just, it, it doesn't consider anything beyond the surface of what it looks like. And the experience and the culture and, and, and the stories is what we really, of, of, of all people, not just the, you know, the white people, are not just black, but all women, those are the things that actually make brands grow over time, I think, into being more inclusive if that resonates with them. And if it doesn't, also, I think there should just be ownership taken of that. Like, be clear. Like, yeah. stand, in, stand in your shit. This is what we stand for. We don't, like, we as founders or whoever is running it, do not believe this product is for all these other people, whoever they are. And that's it. Don't like, listen, don't jump on the bandwagon. Do not put a black square. Don't start hashtagging it up. Like leave it alone. And I would respect you more if that's what you said. And that's your stand. I I would 100% respect you more. The point is like, if, if, if we're saying white women all look different, your interests are different. You know, your backgrounds are different. And if you, if white women can have a conversation like, I do not feel represented. I may be uh, petite. I may be tall. I may be plus. I may be curvy. I may be a skateboarder. I mean, all the categories that fall or interests fall within the white community, uh, they, same thing. Of course. A black community (laughs) or a Latin community or an indigenous community. So you can't. Of course if people are complaining about a brand not being inclusive, you can't think that just throwing, okay, so if, if I'm talking about the disabled community, if they don't feel, you think you're just going to throw someone on an advertisement who's dis- who at that point is visually disabled because you can't speak to someone who's mentally, unfortunately disabled um, from a visual standpoint, you think that's just the solve? Like people think outside of, like you can't just slap, it's not even a band-aid because it's not really covering or fixing anything. You can't just throw one person of, you know, a group in and just be like, oh, that, voila, it fits. Everyone's going to buy. They get our shit. Like, that's what it is. No, it doesn't make sense. So just like stand your ground. This is, we believe in fucking pink and that's all. And none of the other colors, magenta doesn't matter. Like purple doesn't matter. Like stand in it. That's what you believe in. And that's it. Well, it's funny. Cause I feel like with like, like when you go into a CVS and you see like one shelf of like the black hair care products. Uh, right? yeah. Oh, but don't forget that it is also locked out because now I have to go to the front 
But it's not just Walmart. Like, no. Green was doing it. Walgreens. No. Be- behind, literally behind lock and key. So you have to go find an associate. Hi, I would like the, whatever the hell, shampoo or conditioner or deep conditioner. Can you send an associate to the back? And then they come with the key and they're like, which one do you want? And you're like, Are you, like suppose I want to read the back of all of them. And it's see not cold one. medicine, no, guys. You. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. And we're talking, okay, we're in a drugstore. So it's not like it's a million dollar bottle of, you know, this shampoo. Like, come yeah. on, what is it? Mac? Of course. We know what yeah. it is. So like, so now I have to stand here with an associate who's, first of all, fucking annoyed that they have to stop doing what they're doing to come open this lock. Now I'm, now I feel pressured that I have to make this immediate decision in case I was questioning some things about this product. And now I have to be like that one. They close it. They stand there. They wait for you. Or, and this is an experience I've had personally, or they're like, okay, I'll carry it to the front for you. Fuck you. No. I'm like, uh, I'm not done shopping. They're like, it'll be at the front. I hate that. Yeah. So that shit happens last week. <laughs> like today. It's happening. Wow. It's happening. In I live in New York City. New York City. You know what I'm saying? I'm not in some like really small town where you can claim that people don't know or they're naive or whatever the case yeah. is. Like this is the most diverse city, one of the most diverse cities in on the planet. So it's it's bullshit. It is bullshit on some of this. Danielle, in your background, I heard you mention Conde. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your time leading up to forming your partnership with Loma. (laughs) Partnership. Um, Yeah, Conde was an interesting experience because I worked um, for Women's Wear Daily. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's been around for like a trillion years. Like I was there in celebration for its 100th anniversary um, and that's where I met Brie, yeah. <laughs> who connected us. And I just, I guess historically, I've always been one of, maybe one of two Black people or one of two people of color. So although that narrative is not new to me, it is still often very interesting and different conversations had or like people put you in a space um, where they think you belong, even if you're very vocal and you're like, oh, that's not what I'm interested in doing. Um, so I was there for quite a long time and Brie actually, she is one of the loves of my life. Um, she advocated for me on so many levels, levels that I didn't even know when I was stuck being an assistant for about three years. And as much as I was like, this is not what I want to do. And they're like, oh, well, I had one, one person say like, oh, well, in an icebreaker, you said, you know, one of the things you'd be interested in doing is styling. So yeah, we can't see why we would promote you here. And it's like, but it's an icebreaker. I also told you I would do be a chef. So what you like, <laughs> what you, yeah. you know, like if I said, oh, I'd love to go on the moon. Like, are you saying that my intelligence in this space does not transcend? You know, I cannot grow here. So actually, Brie was a, a very, a wonderful ally both in moments where I knew she was an ally and moments behind the scenes that I only learned more recently. And I kind of wrote about it when everyone was kind of revealing these moments where they were kind of, you know, gaslit, you know, and stuck. Interesting experience. I did walk out of there with, you know, women like Brie. There are other women in my life from there that 
um, championed me, but I didn't find it to be the most supportive environment. Well, it's got to be really challenging, you know, to walk into such an established institution, you know, like that. It it is. It's an an old institution, an established institution, an institution where despotism runs rampant. I'm not breaking any, you know, I'm not even, this is not a headline that someone's going to be like, ooh, New York Times expose. It goes back to, and this is something that we do talk a lot about um, internally, um, but also understanding programming that we like to provide, circling back to dark beauty, is it's a socioeconomic issue also. So not all people have the family money that can allow for them to move to New York City and live there, you know, all bills paid and do an internship for $2 and just like explore and and do that. And it's not specific. Again, that's why I say it's socioeconomic. It's not specific to color, right? It's, it's, it's a money thing. And Kanye Nass is latent with people who come from affluent backgrounds that can do, can afford at that beginning stage to just kind of take that hit and it rolls off their back and then they move into being great editors. A lot are great people. But when it comes to socioeconomic opportunities, it's not the same across the board. And that's where often we try to find programming that is free. That's where we have these brand partnerships that we're looking to develop. And, you know, someone, if they're having pre and postnatal, we're, we're going to talk about that later this week, um, issues with regards to mental health, because most people talk about, you know, after your baby has come and now you're suffering from depression or anxiety or whatever. But there are women who suffer from it prior to having their baby and no one ever talks about that. So like, let's get that conversation going or let's help someone find a job, you know, that they would not have known of because they don't know of fashionista.com. I don't know. I'm making that up, but you know, there are certain websites that we're all attuned to just because we're in that space, but just think about three degrees from you. Would that person even know about it? Um, could they, could that community receive the help from it and, and move their, move their lives forward? No, but I think it's, that's not right about it at all. It's all connected. And it's like, it really speaks to kind of, you know, as I was looking around your website, I was like, oh, this is like a sick, like magazine also. Like there's like, like, it's like what I want to be reading, even me, like not, you know, a Jewish girl from New York who's you know, living in California, like these are the things I want to be reading about and to my sphere as well. And so I, I kind of want to hear you guys talk about, you know, what the site is covering and because there's a couple of different things that you have going on. And so we, we'd love to hear, you know, what's all, what's all inside there. If there's one thing that I've learned as a founder is not to get too attached to one thing, right? You get so attached. You're like, this is the business I dreamed of. I don't want to change if you get too attached for it, you, you won't have the business. You, you have to flow. And, you know, we had kind of started off focusing mostly on black women. And even though my, the plan was that we would evolve towards women of color, but we wanted to kind of like get ourselves rooted in content for black women. But when COVID hit, I said, we just have to go wide. We got to go deep. We got to go wide. We got to make this for all women of color. And I think our, our blog really needs to reflect that, but I don't want to have a blog or a website that has content that's like listicles and, you know, SEO friendly. I actually just didn't give a shit about SEO friendly at that point. I wanted to have things to have substance. I, I think we're, we're way past the point of it being superficial. And I'm sure publishers have the difficulty of actually having a site that makes money and a site that provides relevant content. Right now, for right now, all I care about and all we care about is actually 
really great content from from young women. And I said, let's just we just put ads up in you know different websites looking for writers, and we weren't looking for writers that have written for Vogue or Bustle or any of that. It's like I want to hear from real women who love writing, but their stories about their lives. And we started very gradually. We have a, an amazing uh, young woman, Cheryl Chu, who is a Singaporean millennial. And she writes about her experience as a Singapore young person and the insecurities and the things that she goes through and what life is like for her. We had a young, uh, we still do, a young Jamaican girl who was a med student on lockdown in China. Which is crazy at the peak of a lockdown. Imagine that's like you go to China for med school and then it is lockdown. And she'd already been there for like five years, right? But we're gradually onboarding new writers. And I want to do it differently. I don't want to be the Black Refinery 29. I don't want to be the, you know man repeller. I, if I, I mean, I don't want to tell you what's, what products I use in my cover because every other site does that. I mean, why do we need another one of those sites? You know, I mean, and we, we have a glut of beauty products in the market. And while beauty is, is, is interesting, I think, you know, when we talk about dark beauty, we talk about the beauty that's inside and out. You know, how do we start to heal our hearts? How do we start to heal our minds? And how do we then start to heal our bodies physically? without being preachy and how do we ha- how do we develop content that helps you to do that Roses and and a much celebrated quarantine discovery okay i'm in a thruple oh with a body pillow dead <laughs> <laughs> wait i'm in a i'm in a then that means i'm in a full-blown relationship yeah oh so- i'm not single you're not single. Not with this thing. So as you guys know, I, you might have remember us speaking about this incredible invention um, called the sleep crown. That's this lovely feather light pillow that goes on your face, le- leaving your mouth and nose able to breathe, of course. And it's just like instantly relaxing. They came out with a full body pillow version of it. And I shan't soon recover. Ooh, child. It's just, there, my, there's no turning back. Should I, should, I tell, I, should I tell the story of what I just told you before, how much I love the pillow? I think I should. Okay. I, guys, I, um, I've, I've been taking some lovers in the pandemic, you know, just a few. <laughs> no, just. <laughs> and um, one of them was sleeping on the sleep crown body pillow because he thought that it was... Uh, he thought that it was- comfortable thing on the planet. Yeah, and he thought it was just like a large pillow for his head. And I was like, I got so weird inside. And I was like, um, I need you to um, not lay on that because if, if my sleep crown body pillow, that's my boyfriend starts smelling like you, then your pheromones are going to be in my bed and I'm going to like miss you. And I just can't have that right now. So I made him replace it with a different pillow that I could wash the sham of and be done with. That's how much I fucking love this pillow. That important. Oh, no, Joey and I- Truly, like, he'll be on, like, I get first dibs, obviously. Yeah. And I'll be like, it's it's my, like, I need it in full or I'm okay to share it. Like, it's a whole How do you guys share it? Like, you both cuddle it at the same time? I mean, I cuddle it like well, it's a human. Me too. But if we're not doing that, sometimes I just, like, wrap it around my neck. Ooh. Kind of. And then, so then that leads, like, a whole 
other part. Yeah. For for somebody else if 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 I'm open to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I sound I, fun, right? No, I we both sound really cool and really <laughs> chill. Um I'm having a panic attack and you're hoarding. We're fine. <laughs> we're fine. We're fine. Um, yes, the sleep crown pillow, all of, they have a travel pillow, which who knows about, you know, needing that anytime soon. No, but I love uh, the, the travel pillow one. too. And the body pillow. And the founder is one of the nicest women. I know she listens to the show, which is how we got turned on to this epic invention. And who doesn't want to just hug something that isn't going to talk back to them? Julie from Sleep Crown, we see you. We love you. We thank you. Yeah, what's your rose? My rose is that I tried to surf for the first time in like 10 10 or more years yesterday. And it was so much fun. I mean, I went in like, I went to Malibu. I went to Surfrider, which is like this really cool part of Malibu but I was, the waves were really small and I was definitely at like the very end where like, it's not really breaking. Yeah. For the most part, like I was like, just kind of trying to feel like how the wave felt and like trying to stand up and like learning to paddle and all those things. And it was like fun and gentle. And then I was like, okay, it's cold. I want to go in. And my friend that I was with was like, the rule of surfing is like, you can't just like paddle in. You have to like ride a wave in. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, whatever. And this like the only big wave of the entire afternoon came and I was like too late and it broke on me and I like went fucking plummeting down into the thing. The last thing I heard was, no, Steph. And then I'm like tumbling through the ocean with the fucking board, like thrashing around. And I, when I come up, I see my legs open wide and I'm on my back. And then I try to get up and then the board slides to the front and it pulls me down again. And then I see the lifeguard running down and he's like, are you okay? <laughs> oh, wow. It's like a Baywatch moment. Except for it was like, like if, Baywatch, scene. if Baywatch was Broad City, then yeah, maybe. Because I was like thrashing and tumbling. Like it was not cute at all. And to the lifeguard, I was like, we're good. It was wild. But it was so fun. <laughs> that sounds delightful. I have a personally, I have an irrational fear of surfing because I'm somehow really nervous that the board's gonna smack me in the nose. It's not an irrational fear. Like when I was underwater, I was like, this, I could come up and that could happen. The board could hit me in the head. And then when I did finally stand up, the board went flying the other direction and pulled me back down yeah. at the same exact time that the undertow came. I mean, it's chaotic as fuck. Yeah, it sounds chaotic. I, I, I always just appreciate my feet on the ground with the exception of like a five-inch platform. Well, other you're a Taurus with your moon in Taurus. You've got this Taurus vibe. Yeah. I don't ski. I don't snowboard. I don't, I don't do the boards. I like a good paddleboard. Is that what it is when, you ha- when you're stand up? I can handle that very easily. But that, I tried that for the first time like within the past five years trying stuff. It was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like going there, carrying the board, like I was nervous and like, I felt uncomfortable and it really brought me back to like snowboarding days and how like clunky and everything is. I haven't done anything like that in so long. Fuck. Yeah. 2020 bring back your sense of adventure. I'm here for that. Yeah. (laughs) From the couch. Well, no, I feel like, honestly, I feel like we kind of need to like get out of that mindset because people are like, going and doing things like in like a, yeah. you can, I think there's like a happy medium between like just staying home and being like, I do this all the time to being like, 
No, like I can go out in nature. I can go for hikes. I can go to the beach. I can drive up the coast and go walking in the rocks. I could go drive through my town and go to like a secluded area. Like you can like get out and do stuff. When you're around a lot of people, obviously you need to be more careful with your mask and being protecting and all that stuff. But like, I just think that this, the mentality of like, just stay home and fuck, fucking ride this out. I don't think that's good. Personally. I do have my own version of that in once or twice daily walks around the neighborhood. I call them cement jungle hikes. Wow. They sound sad. (laughs) (laughs) They work for me. Yeah. (laughs) I get out there. I see the landscaping of the neighbors. Yeah. Get inspo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It works. No, totally. Just getting out there. Yeah. Um. All I right. think it's well, we will I think it's concrete later. jungle, not cement jungle. But isn't it the same thing? I it just think. sounds more poetic as concrete. Yeah, that's why I said it sounds sad because cement is just like so depressing thinking about. <laughs> but for the reason the other one doesn't. Just bouge it up a bit. Call it concrete. All yeah, right? Brooke Shields is there, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. So guys, we are going to be back later this week to uh, continue the conversation with Wilma and Danielle. Yes. We're really excited about it. We'll see you in a couple days. See you there. Yes, that's a retrograde.